Welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our first Fusion Friday. My name is Haley. I am coordinating the Fusion Fridays. I'm, I'm the coordinator of Fusion 59 and doing a few things with our Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center and Hub on campus here at Trinity. I would like to welcome Lawrence Weller. Um, Lawrence is the president of ECF um, wealth in San Diego, California. So it's actually two o'clock his time. So he is in the middle of his work day, taking some time to talk to our Trinity community. Um, he specializes in fin financial planning and investment management. Lawrence is very excited to be presenting with the students and staff here at Trinity today um, on what it is like to be a business owner and what it's been like working in finance during this pandemic. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Lawrence, and we're super excited to hear from you. Yes, thank you, Haley. I am very excited to uh, participate on the call today and be able to share with some of the people back at Trinity Christian College in beautiful Chicago. Um, yes, COVID has been a very fascinating, very uh, exhausting, a very scary time for everybody. Um, I've always prided myself on trying to be as efficient as possible uh, with my personal life and my professional life. And when COVID first occurred, it was kind of a shakeup as I had to go from doing meetings in person to learning uh, and utilizing uh, the feature that we have now, which is Zoom uh, and the other online uh, video sharing access points. Uh, right when it broke out, I had decided immediately that obviously I'm going to have to scrap anything I do in person. Uh, I always pride myself on uh, doing public speaking, either education events uh, on what I do or bring in other people to do education events on other topics. Uh, so immediately I, I decided to uh, buy a premium subscription to the software Zoom and I reached out to every one of my uh, clients and offered to do a one-on-one -on -one setup meeting. So they could also download and, and understand how to use Zoom. Um, a lot, and I wanted to be able to do it specifically in a meeting where all it was was to learn how to use Zoom. So even though I do the client's financial planning, I help them with their investment management and things of that nature, I kind of put on another hat and I'd call that like my IT hat. I'm not great at it, but I did uh, several trainings. Uh, so then when I started doing the meetings, uh, I was able to make sure they were comfortable and would understand how to use that. So that was, you know, probably the biggest thing I had to adapt to was the lack of being able to meet with people in person. And I thought, all right, let's use the tech that we have now. Uh, I've done several trainings, read several what they call white papers, which is with someone that's really smart, writes up the best practice for a certain item. And so I've been trying to utilize that more to get better and better at using uh, the Zoom technology to run my business. Also, when uh, COVID broke out, as I had mentioned um, earlier, it, it kind of shook me to the core where I didn't know what was gonna take place in the business world. And so I told myself immediately, work more and work harder. Um, back in my basketball days, any of the coaches that uh, had me on the team at Trinity, at Kalamazoo Valley Community College, even my high school, know that I was always a, a hard worker. I even got awards like Mr. Determination and things like that. Um, when, when it 
broke out, I said, you, you can control what you can control and that's gonna be my work ethic and my attention to detail. And so I immediately just took it up a notch. Uh, and I didn't really slow down until basically Labor Day weekend. Um, one of the reasons why I thought working harder and, and focusing even more on the details was important is because when I graduated from Trinity Christian College back in 2006, we had about a year, a year and a half of good economic conditions before we, re before we ran into the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Um, and like that, uh, a good job market like that, you know, easy banking uh, standards disappeared overnight. And so um, I got a little taste of a good economy and then we went right into the ditch from 06, 07 into 08. Uh, and I just realized at that point in time back then that again, all I can control is my attitude and my effort. And I, uh, I had to eat a big piece of humble pie when I got out of college. Uh, about two years into uh, my professional career, I got laid off. And in Michigan, it was the first state hit by the financial crisis of 08. And it was probably, arguably, the hardest hit because our big three car companies, at least one of them had to be bailed out by the federal government. And so I looked around, I said, there's no jobs for me here. I have to be willing to move and be flexible. And like the Cowboys uh, of yesteryear, I said, go, go west, young man. And so I, I picked San Diego out of Orange County, Los Angeles, never really considered San Francisco. I wanted moderate weather. I wanted very little snow or no snow. And I'm also not a fan of humidity. I know, right? Perfect weather I have to have. Uh, so I ended up picking San Diego, but when I got here, I realized there, were no, there wasn't any work here as well. And so I had to take a big piece of humble pie and that was going from being a recent college grad with great outside sales experience, meeting with small business owners, CEOs and controllers, to putting on a polo similar to what I have now. This is actually an Argentinian soccer jersey for soccer fans out there. But before I had to put on a polo that said Sears. And what I had to do for Sears, it wasn't even a full Sears, it was called a Sears Essentials. So it was a smaller Sears with cell appliances. And that meant refrigerators, washers, dryers, you name it. Uh, of course, in the back of my head, I thought that was beneath me. Uh, I, but coming from the Midwest, you just gotta work anyways. And so I started working at Sears Essentials, learning all about appliances, helping people get appliances. And that's when I, you know, by, by the blessings of God, I bumped into a few people in the world of finance at a networking event. And I wish I could say I did it, all of that on purpose. I did not. I was at a networking event, not to network. I was there to give somebody a ride. Wasn't thinking probably as clearly as I do now. And the first two people that showed up at the event were financial advisors. And they go, you have the personality for being a financial advisor. The amount of financial advisors has been going down steadily, especially because of the financial crisis. And the amount of people retiring each day that need financial advisors is going up. I said, well, sell appliances or learn about this thing called finance. Easy, very easy answer. So I did both jobs, Sears Essentials, and worked in finance for about nine months straight until I had done enough business, passed enough uh, classes, got enough uh, licenses and designations to go full-time as an advisor. And that same 
work ethic that I had playing sports, I carried over into the first job out of college and I carried that into finance. And that was just keep your nose to the, to the grindstone and, and, and get after it. And since I started in a recession, when this recession hit us and, and we're in it now and it's, it's kind of an uneven recession and it's got spots here and there that are bubbling up and may not show up till next year or may not show up for two years. Um, I took that same mentality that I had when the last recession occurred and that was to just work hard, eat some humble pie and uh, pay attention to the details. And so that was probably the main things when COVID broke out that uh, kind of were the light bulbs that, that flickered back on for me was remembering the previous recession. Um, being a business owner, um, I'll, I'll have to explain my business just a little bit. I'm what they call a, um, a, a, a lifestyle practice as a financial advisor. What a lifestyle practice means, at least to me, is if you know a duck that sits on water, above the water, very calm, thus the polo. Underneath the water, running around a million miles per hour. But that also means I don't have a lot of people that work for me. I have some virtual administrators that work for me uh, up in Olympia, Washington, right outside of Seattle. And then I have a relationship with a company called LPL Financial, where I can hold the investment accounts that I manage for my clients. So I didn't really have to have any, you know, hard talks uh, with any employees about having to cut back or anything like that. So it was really just me paying attention to my existing practice and what, what do I need to do uh, then and still now. Um, on a personal side, knowing that my business kind of um, blends and bleeds into the personal side is I cut back every expense I could think of. I said, I said, obviously we're not traveling. I, at the time we weren't going out to eat, but since COVID broke out, I haven't made one purchase outside of food and traditional utility costs. And that was just because I did not know the impact of having at one point in time, 50 million people unemployed with the snap of a finger. So because of not knowing the effect that that would have on my business, I decided to cut back on everything I could on the personal side, get as lean and mean as possible. And then, you know, prior to COVID, I already ran my practice, my business, very lean and mean, and looked to see where else could I do any cutting that would not uh, disrupt my revenue. Um, so that's, that were the, those were the big things that I really dialed in and paid attention to when that broke out. I would say for, for younger people just getting started or, or looking to finish school soon, I would say again, the work ethic that you're developing at school, the time management, those are extremely important and something that Trinity is very high on and probably one of the core missions they have is your ethics. Your ethics that you have, that you carry personally, you need to also carry professionally. The shortcuts are always long cuts and the brand that you start building outside of school, when you finish school, that brand, the more you take care of that, meaning you do what you say, you over deliver, you don't cut corners, 
you maintain impeccable business ethics will help you when we have a future recession to make yourself as either an employee or as a business owner much more recession proof. None of my clients left me when the COVID crisis broke out, even though the stock market fell 37% in 22 days. And if anything, clients brought me more money to manage and some of the prospects that I had met with in the previous six to nine months, they went from being prospects to please work with me. Please be my advisor, Lawrence. We're ready to go now. We realize that it's important to have someone that can remove emotion and bring efficiency to our finances. And so for people graduating, again, the work ethic, continue to make that part of everything you do. Uh, and the business ethics and the personal ethics should match and do not ever waver on those because that'll make people feel good about working with you, employing you, or having your business serve them in the worst of times. It's very easy for people to make good money or, or have a good business success when the stock market's up, unemployment's low, every, the sun is shining, there's not a single rain cloud in the sky. But when a recession comes, you will find out then what you are made of as an employee or as an employer and what your, the owner of your company or the clients that use your company really think about you and the service that you bring to them. Awesome, Lawrence, would this be a good time to have some questions if people have any questions for you? Yeah, yeah, shoot away. All right, awesome. Um, I guess I have one. Whenever you first started your business and your practice, what were like the first few things that you knew you had to do and like maybe what was the biggest challenge or hurdle that you had to like overcome when first starting? Yeah, yeah, great question, great question. Um, I didn't know anything about personal finance. I know a little bit about corporate finance because Trinity taught me, but on the personal finance side, stocks, bonds, I probably couldn't have told you the difference between the two. Um, so right away, I just, I took a big bite of humble pie, as you can tell, it's one of my favorite sayings. And I said, all right, teach me. What, teach me or where can I learn more about this? I wanna be, I wanna get to expert status knowledge-wise. So then my confidence and my persona could match my intellect. You know, people talk a lot about faking it till you make it. To me, no. You got to get the knowledge up there and then your confidence can then match. So the, one of the first things I did is said, all right, let me learn as much as I can. Let me um, seek out the best mentors that I can find so I can try to save some time and, and, um, and be as efficient as possible. Um, so that was one of the crucial things. And then the other aspect was always trying to think about the long run. I, uh, I was very big into weight training. I was very big into doing drills that were not really fun. No one was coming to watch you do them for basketball, whether it was working on your left hand or working on a certain move and improvement. And no one's cheering for you. No one's there rooting you on. But in the back of my head, I always knew this is what's best for the long run. You will, you will reap the reward. You will be able to um, take the benefit at a later date. Might not even be next year. It might not even be five years from now. But if you're doing these certain things, you will be able to reap those rewards eventually. And so I always wanted to maintain as I 
would navigate my practice and my business is what's going to be the best for the long run. And that ties into the earlier statements I made, uh, I made about maintaining excellent business ethics, especially because all business is trust relationships. Do you trust each other or not? And so um, keeping the long run in mind and then trying to learn as much as possible so my confidence could be there when I talk to people. You'll learn very quickly and you can tell from your own point of view, people like to talk or listen to people who are confident and have lots of energy. And it's very hard to be energetic and come across as naturally confident if you don't know what you're talking about. And you'll only be able to fool a handful of people that you don't know what you're doing and then eventually your business or your employment will end. So getting my knowledge up there to get the confidence and then deciding right away, just like I did with sports, is do what you need to do today if it's gonna be the best for the long run. And so even today, I have senior advisors reach out to me and I go and sit on boards to discuss how to run a investment practice or financial planning practice the way I do today. So I have people twice my age that ask me, how did you build it that way? How did you set up your pricing? How do you get your new clients? And that's just because every chance I had, I said, all right, this is how I see the environment going. Here's how I see our industry going. So I always stayed open-minded or open-minded to being flexible as well. So yeah, get the education up so the confidence can get there quickly. People love the confidence. Maintaining the long view, that, that light at the end of the tunnel so you're not, you're not doing things to cut the shortcuts. And then the third one would be the last one I said is staying flexible. There are no guarantees. There's no guarantees you're always gonna be able to live in Palos Heights and make good money. There's no guarantees that I'm gonna be able to stay here in San Diego and, and, and make good money or, or have lots of clients here. You have to be open to that flexibility side as either an employee or an employer. And I feel like a lot of people forget that, that are my age group, 35, 36, or maybe even older, that there is no promise that it's gonna be an easy street. You know, if you're gonna become a business owner specifically, I, I won't speak on, on the employee side because I, I, I barely did that my first few years uh, in high school, college, and a little bit outside of college. Um, but as a business owner, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I would argue in 2020, that's everybody. That's everyone should have written down, be comfortable with, with being, or be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hope that helps. Yeah, definitely. That was really great advice. And, and I, yeah, that was great. But do you, are you have access to the group chat? So there was a question from Luke. I can read it to you. So it's a little bit easier. What does the average day for a financial advisor look like? Is it focused on gaining new clients or is it serving the existing clients? So if you can kind of tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like. Yes. Great question, Luke. Well, it, it depends on the type of practice you want. And it depends if you want to be a business owner advisor, which I am, or if you want to be an employee advisor that would work at maybe a bank. I'll explain mine. And when I explain mine, I'll lightly tell you the differences of the other options. So I run mine is a very high service, high touch, low volume practice. So I personally only serve 55 families right now. I actually call them family trees because I'll serve the clients, 
a lot of times I'll serve the grandparents or their parents, excuse me, and then their children. So I'll serve three generations. And my goal is to top out at about 125 family trees. So I, I deliver high service, or at least that's what I'm trying to do. And, and my clients seem to back that up. I also charge more, so I'm more of a premium. And then that way I can spend more time serving my clients than trying to get more clients. And I always thought that would work best if there was a recession, people would remember that you know everything about their finances, that you've been part of their, basically part of their family. I mean, I've had clients try to get me to date their relatives. And I'm like, don't wanna do that. No, 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 don't wanna do that. Thank you, but no, thank you. Um, and so I chose that model because I thought it would not only pay really well, but I thought it would also hold up really well in bad economic times. And I'll tell you the early February and March when the market went screaming lower, uh, I would say it, it showed, its, um, it showed its, its, the positive side of doing a high service, low volume, but higher cost practice. Now, um, other advisors may work at a bank or at a credit union. And so they don't really have to go out and get clients. They usually just kind of come in the door and they have so many people to work with that it's really high, hard for them to have high service. And so I tell clients that, I go, all right, I charge more, but that's because I'm only gonna serve a select few people. Whereas a bank advisor, a credit union advisor, they don't spend any time trying to get new clients. They're just trying to service all 1,000 of the families that have come through and opened you know, one account or several accounts with them. So for me personally, I would say a typical day, let's say out of 100%, I would say I spend probably 20% on the marketing side. I'd probably say about 40% on the actual servicing side with the clients. And then the other 40% would be probably on the business itself, which could be analytics, research, uh, trading, uh, and, and just making sure I'm staying abreast of things. So that's, that's the breakdown for mine. I also set up very key relationships. So I have a CPA firm. I have an estate planning firm that also does business formations uh, for law. I have a property and casualty firm, which would be like auto and home and liability insurance. I have a go-to realtor and a go-to home lender, and I even have a banker. So I developed all those relationships and we don't have anything in writing, but when they have someone that could benefit from my services, they mention my name. And when I have clients, that I need their services to help my clients because I'm basically the quarterback for my clients, I have them to go to. So that really helps on the marketing side. And then obviously if you take care of your clients, your clients typically will be very happy to refer you. Some of them will try to refer actively, some of them it's very passive, and some of them it's just not their nature. And, and I let all of my clients know, I'd love to get referrals, but you don't have to, and I understand and appreciate just you working with me in the first place. So I try to make sure there's no pressure on that. Great question. Awesome, so there's a few more. Um, if you, can you see them? Otherwise I can read them. I so we have one from Rick. Yeah, so, I'll, let you, I'll let you ask because okay. I'm not off on the so side. Rick says, Lawrence, I remember you as a great leader on the basketball floor at Trinity. Great to have you back. 
why did you choose to establish a private company over against a franchise investment firm? <laughs> uh, thanks, Rick. Um, I wanted to do private because I don't want anyone to tell me what my ethics or value should be. And the world of finance, especially when I started in summer of 2009, we probably had the worst name of any service provider in the, in the country. Uh, we probably were below attorneys, um, maybe used car salesmen, and I'm not against used car salesmen, not, but there's, there's a stigma towards that. And so knowing that there was that stigma after I got more into the industry, I always wanted to make sure I can run this ship the way I want to. And it's going to be all about ethics, transparency, and being a fiduciary. And so that's why I didn't want to go more of the franchise model. Um, also, I like, I like to go to nice hotels when they're open pre-COVID. I like to go to nice restaurants. Not all the time. Not all the time. And I like to go, you know, I like to drive a car that's really comfortable and, and luxurious. Only one though. I don't need a bunch of them. And so I go, all right, you have all these things in your personal life that are high, higher end or higher service. Why not make sure your professional life matches? And so I've tried to always have symmetry or be lined up whether it's personal side, likes high service, high value, great customer service. I go, well, if that's what you like, you probably would like delivering that too. And so by making this stay my practice and not going more the franchise route, I'm able to maintain that and control it more. You could also maybe say a little bit OCD or control freak, uh, but I, I like the other answers better. Very good. So we have another question from Jeremy, if that's all right, if you have enough time. All right. All right. I cleared, I cleared it for Trinity. Perfect. So Jeremy Klein says, would you be willing to share about what your customer service means to you as a business owner? And how do you navigate serving customers who at times are nervous or frantic about their investments when the stock, when the stock market may dip? Great question. Very, very, very good question. Um, Customer service, I'm in the service industry. Customer service is number one. So that, that's what I feel about that. If you're gonna be in the service industry, your service has to be number one. And then that's why I decided to set my practice up as more of a premium practice, because it's a lot easier if you're a service provider like myself or an attorney or a CPA, that if you say to someone just coming on board, brand new prospect becoming a client, I'm going to give you amazing service. You're never going to question the level of service you get. I'm probably going to get things figured out before you even have them as a question for you. And then now they're paying you accordingly for that. That's very consistent and easy to do. Also, when I was growing up, my mom, who's been more in the corporate world, uh, she's a more of a business consultant now. She used to just always say this, this saying that it's easier to keep a client than it's cheaper to keep a client than add a new client. And so I figure I can control my effort and my service level. Again, this goes back to the sports part. You can control how much you train, what moves you practice, all that good stuff. Well, if I can control customer service level, 
and I'm going to charge a high amount for a high service level, well, I never want a client to ever come to me and say, you charge too much. And I never want, so then I'd have to discount, but still give a high service. I want everything to match. So customer service is paramount in the service industry. It's paramount in my business. I know everything about my clients financially. I know everything on their banking side, their insurance side, their legal documents, um, their, their spending habits, where all their assets are, the values of their homes. I know everything. And so you have to deliver high service when someone's going to be willing to open up like that to you. It's similar to going to a doctor's office and they say, all right, we're going to examine your body. Well, they better be awesome with their service level, with their professionalism for you to feel comfortable with them. And they have to maintain that. Um, so customer service, extremely high. Uh, then I think the second part of the question was how do you handle the dips or the downturns in the market? That's a great question. I always want to be the first one talking about it. I want to control the narrative. They're hiring me because I am removing the emotion for them. And so if I wait for them to get emotionally riled up, and we all know the media loves to get the clicks, and so if it bleeds, it leads, you'll see they'll have some red scary bear on 60 minutes saying the market's gone down 2,000 points or this, that, and the other. So I, I have a, a rule that says, if the market falls six to seven percent, I send out an immediate email to my clients, especially the ones that are a little bit more sensitive, call those maybe pre-retirees or retirees, giving them a short synopsis of what's going on, why, why we believe this has occurred, and immediately here are call times if you'd like to discuss it. If it falls further than that, we'll say about 15%, I send out that same exact email again, to offer call times, what's going on, and what I'm doing inside the account to deal with it. Most of the clients, in whether it's a six to 7% drop or the 15 to 20% drop, when you're reaching out to them before they get scared out of their mind from 60 minutes or 20 or whatever other show it may be, that really comforts them, that lets them know you're on top of it. And that second part of the drop you're, you're listing what you're doing to try to um, take advantage of the drop in the uh, market or their accounts. So being proactive. Don't let, them bring the, don't let them bring the conversation to me. I bring it to them. Go ahead. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. I, I can take that advice into my job I'm doing now. I'm sure everyone can, can really learn and, and really initiate and be proactive. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Does anybody have any more questions for Lawrence? Well, Lawrence, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to um, the Trinity staff and, and community and students. Um, it's been awesome. If you don't have anything else to say, then we can just kind of applaud you for coming in today. It was really awesome. And you're our first speaker, so we are so happy to have you. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me and, 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 and asking some great questions. Really happy to help uh, and give back. Um, I wrote a letter to Trinity a couple years ago because I came from a little bit different background than maybe some of the students. And I said, you know, at the time I couldn't understand Trinity why I was going there. I knew, I knew they had their way of doing things. And it was after school, maybe about five years later, that it all clicked. And, um, and I, I, I'm forever thankful to be able to have that experience. 
And, and like I said, maybe I didn't understand at the time, but I completely understand it and see all of the value that Trinity brings to the table. And I'm very excited about opportunities like this to be able to help out now and in the future. And thanks for having me here. Yeah, thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to our first Fusion Friday. Um, and Lawrence, thanks again for your time. See you, everybody. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Troll Talks, a part of the Troll Nation Network. If you or someone you know wants to make a difference in the lives of current, former, or prospective students at Trinity Christian College, be sure to visit our website at trnty.edu slash tnn. That's trnty.edu slash tnn. Have an idea for a future Troll Talks episode that would benefit the Trinity community? Send us an email at alumni at trnty.edu. That's alumni at trnty.edu.